welcome back to the Hot Spice Show. As always, I'm your host, JC Calavita, a.k.a. Hot Spice. This week, I'll give my picks for the major awards, and I'll provide some commentary on the new rules changes that will be implemented in the minor leagues this year. Today, we also have an interview with Christian McElroy. He's a freshman infielder for the Alvernia University Golden Wolves baseball team of the Middle Atlantic Conference, and he's going to talk about his first experiences as a college baseball player and what it takes to get to the next level. And we're going to end the show talking about a player with a promising career, a promising career, that is, until he got the yips. All right, let's get into these award predictions. For AL MVP, I got Matt Chapman, the third baseman for the Oakland A's. Now, most people would go with Mike Trout or even Aaron Judge at this point, but I like to be a little bit different because it's no fun picking the same people every time. So Chapman was a 2019 All-Star. He's a two-time Gold Glove Award winner. He was he was also a Platinum Glove Award winner. He's former high school teammates with Nolan Arenado, so I, I'm guessing he definitely learned something from him because Nolan Arenado is a great third baseman as well. In 2019, he had a breakout season. He had 36 home runs, and he had a disappointing 2020 season. He struck out a lot, which has been a story over his career, which I believe will, if he cuts down on, it'll help him greatly. In becoming that MVP, he had to recover from uh, a torn hip labrum. He got surgery for that in the offseason, and he's expected to be very healthy this season. He's hitting 313 through seven spring training games, and I can potentially see him with a 35-plus home run season with 100-plus RBIs. He needs to fill the void that Mark and Simeon left after leaving for the Blue Jays. And, you know, Liam Hendricks left the team too, but I think that Chapman can guide the team to that second straight AL West division title in 2021. I expect him to come out guns a-blazing. I, I, my prediction is he'll be even uh, April player of the month. I think he'll have a great year. Now, in the NL, I got Ronald Acuna Jr. Youth has definitely taken over baseball. Acuna's 23, and you also got Fernando Tatis Jr., and Juan Soto, they are great young guys, even for, even Francisco Lindor to some extent. But Acuna is the ideal five-tool player. The Venezuelan had a monster 2019. He had 41 homers, he had 100, over 100 RBIs, and he had 37 stolen bases. That's such an underappreciated part of his game. He led the league in steals that year. And as, along with his defense, he is one of the best defensive outfielders in baseball. I think the Braves are going to have back-to-back MVPs as Freddie Freeman won it last year. He's going to spearhead that lineup. With Freeman along with Ozzy Albies and Marcelo Zuna. Again, just like Chapman, if he cuts in on his strikeouts, the award is his. Frankly, I mean, the only challenger I see right now is Mookie Betts or Juan Soto. But again, those are pretty big picks. Mookie Betts is an established star, and Juan Soto is the number one overall selection in fantasy this year. But I want to see Ronald Acuna. I mean, I really don't want to see him take the league by storm because my Phillies, he's going to have to face them 18 times this year. But I think he's going to do great. So moving over to the Cy Young Award, I've got Walker Buehler, Trevor Bauer's new teammate, to claim that title. He's a former Vanderbilt standout, and he's only the third starter on his team, which is wild because he would be an ace on most other teams. He's behind Bauer and Kershaw at the moment, and he's got David Price. There's three Cy Young Award winners in that Dodgers rotation, and I think I think Walker Buehler could become the fourth. He only started three games in 2020. He had blister issues. He didn't really throw as much when the season got suspended as much as you know his contemporaries. But in 2019, he was an all-star. He finished top 10 in Cy Young voting. He had over 200 strikeouts, and he's a three, he had a 3.26 ERA. The crazy part is he's only 26 years old. 
He's got an upper 90s fastball that regularly hits 97-98, and he's got a devastating 12-6 curveball with great vertical movement. Not to mention his slider and cutter. He locates them both very well, and they're great out pitches for him, and I think he leads the Dodgers back to the playoffs and even maybe the World Series. I think the Dodgers have a great chance to repeat if they can stay out of the way of the Padres. Uh, moving over to the AL, I got Lucas Giolito. Giolito was lost for the first three seasons of his career. He his first season was with the Nationals, and you know he got sent down and traded. And he spent the the first season with the White Sox in the minor leagues for most of the year. His ERA was above five and a half. He had a WHIP of 1.5. That's that's pretty that's abysmal numbers right there. Now in 2019, something changed. He made the All-Star team. He finished top 10 in Cy Young voting. He had over 200 strikeouts, and he led the league in complete games. Granted, that was only like three because no one throws complete games anymore, which is annoying. I loved watching players throw complete games back in the day, but that's just not how it is. Once you get through the third, once you get through the third time through the order, you don't really see that anymore. But anyway, he led the White Sox to the playoffs in 2020, and he even threw a no, he threw a no hitter. That was crazy. He threw a great no hitter against the Pirates. Uh, he's again like just like uh, Walker Bueller. He's got an upper 90s fastball, a changeup that freezes hitters. His 12-6 curveball is his out pitch, and he knows how to keep hitters off balance. In baseball, you've got to be able to throw more than two pitches. You have to be able to locate well, and you've got to mix up the speeds to keep those hitters off balance. So, I got two pitchers as well for the Rookie of the Year awards. So first overall pick by the Tigers in 2018 out of Auburn, I got Casey Mize. Experts say that he is one of the best pitching prospects since Steven Strasburg. Now, we all remember his crazy debut against the Pirates, Steven Strasburg's debut. He had about 14 strikeouts. He had so much hype going into that game. And really, Casey Mize didn't really live up to that last year. He's 23 years old now, and last season he went 0-3, and his ERA was just a tad under 7, like 6.99. He, he is was the number seven overall prospect in 2020. The Tigers have high hopes for him, and really they're not they don't have much to cheer for this season because the Tigers are going to be terrible. So Mize relies a lot on his sinker and four seamer. Both of those sit around 94, but he's also got a cutter and a splitter and a 12-6 curve with a lot of movement. I think he's going to have a bright future ahead of him. But again, the Tigers organization is not going to do very well. They don't really have much to look for other than Miguel Cabrera, like I talked about last week, him getting 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. But I think he could spark the turnaround in the Tigers organization. Now, the next guy I've got for the NL is Spencer Howard of the Phillies. So Spencer Howard, again, just like Mize, did not ha- exactly have a great 2020 season. He only made six starts. He was one and two with an ERA a little bit below five. He's a second rounder out of Cal Poly in 2017. He's the uh, Phillies' second best prospect behind Alec Boehm, who had a great season last year. But sadly, he's not exactly good. He's, he's ineligible to be on the ballot this year. If, if he was, I'd pick him in a heartbeat. He's going to have a great year. But anyway, Spencer Howard, his fastball sits around 94 with a slider for his out pitch. He mixes, up, he mixes in a changeup. And he's got a great 12-6 curveball. Now, like Mize, he gives Phillies hope for a legitimate pitching prospect. He could solidify the number four spot in spring training because they brought in guys like Matt Moore and Chase Anderson. And they brought back Vince Velasquez to complete for those last two starting spots behind Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, and Zach Elfin, who are both established pitchers. Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, great, great starters, going to lead the Phillies to new heights this year. But... Howard has had did experience back spasms. He was scratched from a start. But Joe Girardi says that everything's going to be fine in a couple of days. But I don't know. I don't know right now. I, I, I would still pick him. I would still pick Spencer Howard to be Rookie of the Year. But he may be coming out of the pen to begin the season. Or he maybe even might even start in the minors. But I still think he's going to have a great year. 
All right, so next, lastly, we're going to have manager of the year. So manager of the year is weird where it usually goes to the manager of the team that exceeds expectations during the regular season. So I've got Charlie Montoya of the Blue Jays for the AL manager of the year. Like I said, I've talked about the Blue Jays before. They are my World Series pick. They're an up-and-coming team with a lot of potential. Their lineup is ridiculous. George Springer in center and Marcus Simeon in second. They're veteran leaders that have a lot of playoff experience that can help the younger guys. they got Bo at short. Vlad Guerrero at first, maybe DHing, and Kevin Biggio at third. Three of those guys with major league dads, great players, all three of them. They're young. They got up and coming talent. I think they're ready to take on the majors right now. And Teoscar Hernandez in left was a big surprise in 2020. He hit 16 home runs in just 60 games, and I I think he can repeat the magic of last season. And now their rotation sort of a weak spot. They do have a clear ace in Hyunjin Ryu. I think he's going to have a great year this year. Robbie Ray and Steven Matz need to be solid starters. They've had up and down careers. They need to bring it all together for this season and for the for the Blue Jays to, you know, be good. To I think I think they're going to win the division if everything comes to fruition. They also have Tanner Roark as a fourth starter. He's a wild card, but he needs to be at least like kind of good for them to, you know, to do well this year. A late season addition to the rotation like Herman Marquez of the Rockies or Chris Bassett of the A's. Both are very underrated pitchers from small markets, and I think that they would really, really help the Blue Jays on route to a division title and even a deep playoff run this year. And I think if all goes well, Charlie Montoya's got this in the bag. Now, I got Jace Tingler of the Padres for the National League. His pitching staff got so much better with the addition of Blake Snell, Joe Musgrove, and Hugh Darvish to combine with their young star in Chris Paddock. They're similar to the Blue Jays with all their young talent. They got Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado, who both got paid recently. You know, Fernando Tatis this offseason, Manny Machado two years ago. Those guys are MVP candidates, perennial MVP candidates, I might add. They got Eric Hosmer and Tommy Pham and Will Myers to, re- to provide veteran help and leadership on the team. They All three of them have a lot of experience and can help the younger players. Trent Grisham was a pleasant surprise last year after being traded from the Brewers. He let that ball go right past him in the 2019 wildcard game that eventually led to the Nationals winning the World Series. And I think he really revitalized his career in San Diego, or Slam Diego, I should say. You know, and then at second base, you got a platoon of Jake Cronenworth, who was the runner-up in Rookie of the Year voting last year, and a new acquisition from the KBO, Ha Seung Kim. They'll split time at second base, and they're stacked from top to bottom. If they can beat the Dodgers for the division, Jace Tingler's going to be manager of the year. There's no doubt about that in my mind, unless the Phillies, like, win 100 games, because the Phillies, for some whatever reason, aren't really predicted to do well, even though they're pitching staff got much better their bullpen specifically and they have the same lineup that was great last year but i, th- I think if the phillies win 100 games joe girardi is going to win but i don't really see them winning 100 games i see them making the playoffs but honestly i think jace tingo's got the best shot at it right now and then you got the major rule changes that happened this year so mlb decided that they would implement one rule change for each level in the minor leagues so in triple a there's going to be larger bases I like this one a lot. It kind of reminds me of Little League where sometimes at first base there would be two first base bags. One side would be for the runner. One side would be for the first baseman. So there would really not be any any collisions at all. Now, the bases are only going to be three square inches larger. I don't really know if that's a lot or not, but I, I'd love to see the numbers on the reduced collisions after the season if there you know even are stats that indicate that. Now, Double A's got the infielders that have to have two feet on the dirt, and there have to be four of them. They can still do the overshift, but the second baseman can't really be in short right field anymore. I like this, but personally, I wish that they had just bit the bullet and 
made that made it so you couldn't ship. There has to be two infielders on either side of the se- either side of second base. Because honestly, I don't really care if the second baseman can play in short right as long as the shortstop or third baseman can't be on the on the right side of the field. In high A, there's the new step off rule. Basically, the pitcher has to completely disengage from the rubber in order to do a pickoff. I don't like that. It makes the lefty and righty pickoff moves equal. It's always been that lefties have an advantage when picking over to first base. They don't have to completely step off. And players are taught at a young age to, you know, know about that and not to take leads or take leads accordingly. And this also eliminates the spin move. I love the spin move. I utilize it a lot when I was a pitcher back in, you know, Little League and high school. And overall, I really don't think this is going to help the game. And another thing that I don't like is in low A, there's going to be – you're only allowed to do two pickoff while there's a runner on base. I think that's dumb. Um, because what if you use those two pickoffs? The runner knows you're going home. You got you you can't do anything because if you throw over a third time, it's a balk. But if you throw over a third time and he's out, he's out, which is cool. I like I kind of like that. But I just don't like the entire rule in general. Now in low A West, there's going to be a pitch timer. I like that a lot. It's self-explanatory. It speeds up the game. Let's move on. Lastly, we got the automatic strike zone in the low A Southeast. I have mixed feelings about this. On one hand, it'll make it so that the count is true to where the pitch actually is. But it takes the human element out of the game, which is a deal breaker for me almost. Pitchers won't be able to paint certain areas just off the plate to get calls. Personally, I'd find a way to correct the egregious ball or strike calls that are way off or clearly in there. But you got to keep the human element. That's what's part of baseball. You can't just make it like that. Now I'd like to welcome our guest. He's a freshman infielder for the 4-2 and Alvernia University Golden Wolves of the Middle Atlantic Conference in Reading, Pennsylvania. During his high school career, he was a member of the Donovan Catholic Griffins. In his junior season with the Griffins, he was named first team All-Shore Conference. Christian McElroy, welcome to the Hot Spice Show. How are you? How you doing, John? All right, let's start this off. So as I start every interview, give me a scouting report on yourself. All myself. Let's see. Uh, I'm a right-handed thrower, switch hitter, speed on the bases, but not a big power guy, more of a contact guy. When did you start switch hitting? I started switch hitting when I was eight or nine years old. My dad kind of forced it on me, but it's the best thing they could have ever done for me. I love it. What advantage does it give you other than the normal, you know, matchup? Like you want a lefty hitter on a righty thrower. Like what, what do you, what advantage do you think it gives you? Oh, it gives me a huge advantage, especially with curveballs and sliders. Everything is breaking into me, which gives me more of a torque on my body to explode on the baseball, have it be hit harder. Are you better right-handed or left-handed? I'm a dominant right-handed batter, but now I am better left-handed. So what position are you playing right now? Because I know when we played together, you played everywhere. You played every position in the infield. You even played some outfield. Like where, where, where is your main position right now? My main position now is second base. I've, uh, I started there. Coach really likes me there. So he's really hoping to see a future in me at second base. What sets you apart from other players at your position? First of all, switch hitting is huge. Uh, my coach is a big hit it he's a big hitting guy he loves on base percentage averages and just speed all around so switch hitting really gives me a good advantage on at the hitting standpoint but at the feeling standpoint i feel that i have the quickest hands at second base between the three infielders that are competing for a spot right now so you played baseball on the shore and it's notorious that kids on the shore are ridiculously good what do you think it may, what, what do you think makes it different from other places in new jersey the shore, it's a unique place because usually during the day, a lot of kids like going to the beach, going, you know, going out with their friends. And then at night, we usually have the games. But 
if you're really dedicated to baseball, which the kids who do come out of the shore are, we're, we don't really go to the beach that much during the day because, as we all know, the beach makes us really tired. So I feel like hard work and dedication with also good weather most of the time really, like, excels us as athletes. So how would you describe the Jersey Shore, like the regular Jersey Shore, not the baseball aspect? How would you describe that as someone who's never been? Oh, it's amazing. Uh, every day, it's usually around 70 degrees, no clouds usually. It, it's amazing. You know, on your off days, you do your work in the morning, then you can go hang out with friends at the boardwalk at night. It's truly something to be said. I'm very fortunate that I grew up here. What's the best boardwalk? Best boardwalk is probably Seaside. Bunch of high school to college kids go there. I know you played for the Niners. So what did you get out of playing for them that you couldn't get from a local team or your high school team? Yeah, so I started off at a local team just in Tom's River, which was run just by, you know, two dads. But going to the Niners really expanded my baseball knowledge and it helped me get connections to where I wanted to be. And that was in college. It got me to those tournaments. It got me to those coaches that wanted that wanted players and wanted to see players like wanted to see players like me to excel and I feel that they really put me in a good position to go where I wanted. Tell me about your recruitment. Like what was it, what was the process like for you? As you know, me and the shortstop Mike Farinaccio, we've played together for years, three, four years. He was at short, I'm at second. And the coach for Alberni University, Yogi Lutz, he came he came up to us after the game, both of us and really liked us, started talking to us and just said, you know, I really like you guys. I'm going to continue to watch you over the next few days. And I'll talk to you after every game and just give you a little deep, like little pointers here or there. So after every game, he came up to us and he asked us, hey, I want you guys on my team. Uh, would you guys like to come up for a visit? And of course, we're going to say yes. So and that's what we did. We went up for a visit. We both love the school, love the program, love the facilities. And we both committed on the spot. You didn't have any other schools that were interested in you that you looked at? I did. I had a few D2 schools, uh, one D1, good amount of D3. But this one, coach told me that I would have a potential starting spot. If it wasn't for COVID, I would have a potential starting spot as a freshman. And I didn't want to add a D1 or D2 school, sit around till my junior or senior year, then get a chance. I wanted to contribute right away. and. That's what he told me if I kept working, I would do. So, As a student athlete, what does your average day look like? As a student athlete, so fortunately I have uh, classes in the morning. On Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, I've got three classes from 9 to 12.05. And then on Tuesday, Thursdays, I still have morning classes, which train from 9.30 to 12.30. So I, like, I go back-to-back -back, uh, classes, so that gives me time in the afternoon, which our practices are, to have the full practice. I know some kids on my team, they're late to practice or they have to leave early because of class and they don't get as much work in. So I'm fortunate with that. But it does require a lot of time management. It's a big skill to have. So how did COVID affect you, how you guys prepared for the season? So it affected us in a lot of ways. We didn't have preseason. Uh, we didn't have games during preseason. We usually go down to Virginia and Florida for preseason but we weren't allowed no travel so that was unfortunate and then just every day we had to get our temperature taken before before we practiced and we now have to have COVID tests every week so that we can continue playing 
how are the how do the games look? I know you guys have played six games already. How does that how how are they looking? Do you have to wear masks in the dugout or on the field or anything? Yeah, so in the dugout you have to wear masks at all times, uh, above the nose. And but once you're on the field, once you step on the field, either in the field or in the batter's box, you can bring it down to your chin. Usually everyone has the gator, so it's easy. What aspect of your game did you work on most this offseason? This offseason, I definitely worked on uh, my power in my swing, getting torque on the ball. I went to the gym a lot and just worked on opening my hips, both righty and lefty. How would you say your playing style has changed from high school to college? The game is definitely quicker in every aspect in college. So just working those quick muscle fibers and just being prompt and the game, the game is just faster. So you have to work on your speed in every aspect. That means getting to the ball from second base, transferring the ball on double plays. And even when you have to uh, make contact with the bat, just quick hands, it, you just got to work on those quick muscle fibers. Who had the most effect on you, how, who you became as a player and what did they teach you? Oh, for sure. My dad, uh, my dad was fortunate enough to make it to the minor leagues and he taught me everything I know. As I told you earlier, he's the guy who got me switch hitting. He's the guy that pushed me every single day. And I can't thank him enough because as a as a young kid, I, you know, you love baseball, but you don't want to work as hard as you should. And my dad pushed me every day. And now it got to the point a couple of years ago where he doesn't have to push me anymore. I push myself and I ask him to do things. So he is truly been my inspiration and I am the man who I am today and the baseball player who I am today because of him. Do you have a favorite piece of advice or a quote from a player or a coach that has stuck with you? I've heard a I've heard a few coaches say this. Uh just be steady. Be steady. So what this means is just don't try and do too much. And when times are tough, don't lose confidence. Just continue to push through. Be steady. Don't you don't want to be up and down in slumps and, you know, where you have a huge slump, but then you come back and, you know, you're hitting 600 within 10, 20 games. You want to be steady throughout the whole process. So how do you think the Golden Wolves match up against the rest of the MAC? Oh, I, be- I do believe that we are the best team in the MAC. I think we will win the MAC championship and make it to regionals. Our team is very good. We, we had some returners. We had two pitchers and a second baseman who is a returner. I I do believe we will win the MAC. Are there any super seniors on the team this year? Because I know uh, because of COVID last year, they let kids like get that extra eligibility. Are there any super seniors? Yeah, so that's who I was talking about, the two pitchers and the second baseman. Okay. The second baseman, you know, unfortunately, I'm not going to get a whole lot of playing time because this kid is really good. But he was supposed to be gone, and I – I technically was supposed to be the second baseman this year, but just him being there might actually be a blessing because he has already taught me so much about the game that, you know, you just didn't think of or didn't think more into. So he's really helped me. What has he taught you? He's just uh, taught me little things, you know, when attacking the ball, arm angles, quickness to the ball, like jumps, just having them there. For signs when we go over in plays with uh, PFPs, it's just reassuring. He'll tell you what to do, help you. He'll make you get 
He'll help you get better. He just wants the best for you. So what do you hope to personally accomplish this year? I hope to maintain that backup position for when that second baseman leaves. I am the next guy. I'm the next guy in line to take over his role as a sophomore. I do think I will get in some games this year because he is our closer. So I'm hoping to I'm hoping to lock down that backup position. And you never know, maybe, maybe start. You know, crazy things happen. So have you gotten into a game yet this year? I have not. No, I have not gotten into a game. He he hasn't pitched yet, so he's been playing second and swinging the bat this whole time. What's the clubhouse atmosphere like? So, unfortunately, with COVID, it's not as tight as usual, but all the kids get along. We can't go over each other's, like, houses. We can't even be in the same locker room with everyone at once. It's only a 10-person maximum. It stinks right now, but it will get better soon, and I can already see the camaraderie on the team. So once we're able to be free, I think we will really grow. So what's your favorite thing about Alvernia? My favorite thing about Alvernia, hmm, it's got to it's got to be baseball. Uh, the coach, you know, he's tough. He is. He's really tough on us to make us better, but he makes it fun, a fun tough, where you're always engaged, always listening, always participating. So I. I I truly believe baseball is my favorite aspect. All right. All right, here's the last question. I'm going to start asking this in every interview. What what do you love most about baseball? What do I love most about baseball? Hmm. It's just everybody everybody being there for each other and just the camaraderie on the team. That's it. All right. Well, thanks for joining the Hot Spice Show, buddy. I hope you have a pretty solid season this year. Thanks, Sean. Have a great day. All right, thank you very much, Christian. Heading into our last segment now, this week's highlighted player is Rick Ankeel. Ankeel was a very highly touted pitching prospect out of high school. He was drafted in the second round of the 1997 draft by the St. Louis Cardinals after being named High School Player of the Year. Ankeel only spent less than two years in the minor leagues and made his major league debut in 1999, about a month after turning 20. In 2000, his first full season, Ankeel went 11-7 with a 3.5 ERA and nearly 10 strikeouts per nine. He finished second in the Rookie of the Year voting that year and seemed to be on his way to becoming one of baseball's top pitchers. Everything fell apart in the postseason, though. In Game 1 of the NLDS, Ankiel got the start. He pitched well through the first two frames, but during the third inning, Rick Ankiel pretty much forgot how to pitch. Drew Jones in the dirt, back to the screen, and over to second base goes Greg Maddox on the wild pitch. Another wild pitch over the head of Hernandez and back to the backstop. Wow, to the screen again. It hits off the backstop and right back to Hernandez. So Maddox didn't go anywhere. And another wild one. And Maddox will score. From a long time major league catcher, Buck Martinez. And there is the fifth wild pitch of the inning. He gave up four runs on only two hits, but he accumulated five wild pitches. He pitched two more times that postseason, still without much of his control. He had the yips. In Ankiel's book, The Phenomenon, he said that he was fine in a setting with just him and the catcher. But with 50,000 fans watching, it was a different story. He said that he would black out somewhere between his arm moving forward and when he released the ball. The next season, Ankiel allowed 25 walks in 24 innings. The Cardinals had seen enough. Ankiel was sent down to the minors. They thought that might help, but sadly it didn't. He converted to an outfielder after receiving Tommy John surgery. On August 9, 2007, Ankiel had his first at-bat as a position player. He received a standing ovation from the Cardinals faithful. And then he did this. In the order, no hits. Ankiel out to deep right field. Has a chance to leave the ballpark. It's gone! A 
over the next two years, Ankiel played very well for St. Louis. He even hit 25 home runs in 2008, but he was known for his absolute cannon of an arm in center field. I remember watching Ankiel making ridiculous 300-foot throws to nail runners trying to take the extra base. After signing with the Royals in 2010, Ankiel began to decline. He bounced around to a few teams, and he never got back to hitting the way he did in 2008. But he did never lose that ability to absolutely hose runners. Rick Ankiel is a great story of perseverance. When the Cardinals did send him down to the minors, they sent him to rookie ball, the lowest level of the minors at the time. But he never gave up. Baseball is a game of failure. If you fail 7 out of 10 times at the plate, you're pretty damn good. So props to Rick Ankiel. He got back to the show. He had a solid career. But in my opinion, he goes down in history as one of the best there never was. All right, everyone, that'll just about do it for this edition of the Hot Spice Show. Thank you so much for listening. I release new episodes every Thursday. I love doing this, and I hope you all continue listening so I can keep doing it. Make sure you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at J underscore Colavita 12. That's J underscore C-O-L-A-V-I-T-A 12. I'd like to thank Christian McElroy for taking the time to do an interview, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I look forward to you joining me next week. One more time, I'm JC Calavita, a.k.a. Hot Spice, and this has been the Hot Spice Show. Peace, bros.